There's a story of a sweet saint who I look forward to meeting in heaven one day, and his name was John Denley. John Denley lived around the time of the Protestant Reformation, when many people were awakened to the truths of God's word that had long been absent from the teachings of many churches, such as the Church of England. And during Denley's day, the Church of England was no fan of reformers and dissenters of its teachings. Well, one day in 1555, as Denley walked along, he was stopped by some officials. When they searched him, they found his personal confession of faith, which he had written down and was on his person. Now, his confession was a statement based on scripture, not the teachings of the Church of England. So they brought him in for questioning before a local bishop, and because Denley refused to recant his faith, he was condemned to die. When that day finally came, weeks later, Denley arrived at the stake to be burned to death. But when they lit the fires, there was no fear in his eyes. In fact, as the flames grew larger, John Denley started to sing a psalm. This angered one of his executioners, who hoped to silence this singing Christian, and he picked up a piece of wood and threw it at John Denley's face. Denley just looked at the man and said, Truly, you have spoiled a good old song. Then, they say that John Denley stretched out his arms and kept on singing until he died. As I considered John Denley's story, I wondered what those weeks were like for him leading up to his execution. Were they terrifying nights as he imagined the coming fire, or was he found singing in his prison cell the whole time? I've often wondered how so many Christians have confidently, even joyfully, endured persecution and death for their faith in Jesus. Maybe the disciples of Jesus wondered how they could endure such things when the Lord told them that the world would hate and persecute them. Last week we saw the truth that as followers of Jesus, if we truly live for him, the world will hate us and persecute us. Maybe as you heard those things last week, you were grieved like the disciples were when they heard them. Maybe you were wondering how you could ever face persecution or how you could bear the pain and humiliation it brings. Maybe, maybe we began to despair. But believers... Take courage. As we return to John chapter 16, verse 16 this morning, we will see why, like the disciples, we should not be overcome with grief in this life, even when persecution and hardship comes. We're in John chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 16. Keep in mind that Jesus is with his 11 disciples, and we find this. It says, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Now let's keep our place right here in John chapter 16. 
Jesus has just told the disciples that the world will hate them and persecute them for their faith. On the heels of these things, he reminds them again that he's going to leave them. That soon they would not see him for a while. Keep in mind that the disciples gave up everything to follow Jesus. They left possessions, jobs, friends, the comforts of home, all these things to follow him. Now they were going to lose him and the world would turn against them. These would be heavy truths to hear. And more than difficult to hear, Jesus knew it would be painful for them to endure. Jesus knew that after his death on the cross, the disciples would face three days of grief, feeling defeated, confused, scared of the religious leaders, uncertain of what to do next, and having great pain in their hearts. But Jesus tells them, as they were on the verge of all these things, that the pain would not last forever. Just as a pregnant woman experiences great pain in childbirth, but then when it ends and she embraces her newborn baby, all that pain starts to fade away, and then she's left rejoicing. So too, when Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples would no longer be in pain. Their mourning would turn to rejoicing. When they embraced their risen Savior, they would have joy, a joy that cannot be taken away. And every day following the Lord's resurrection, they could lean into that joy. Remember, joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is based on our circumstances. When things go well, we're happy. When they go bad, happiness fades. But Jesus said their joy wouldn't be taken away. That's because joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is greater. This week I read a wonderful definition of joy in the Christian life. That it is that settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. That comes only from trusting God. I'm going to read that again for you. Joy in the Christian life is that settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope that comes only from trusting God. That's what the disciples would have when the Lord rose from the dead. The very focus of their grief, the death of Jesus on the cross, would become their very source of joy. Because he died, we can have the forgiveness of our sins. Because he died, we can be made right with God. Because he died, we do not need to fear death. But they wouldn't have this joy in his death until he rose from the dead. After Jesus' resurrection, when the world hated and persecuted the disciples, the disciples could remember that their Savior was alive. They didn't need to be hopeless, even in hopeless situations, because their Savior lives. They did not need to fear the persecutions of men, because their Savior lives. And no one could ever take away that joy. The Lord was going to leave them for a little while when he died. Then at his resurrection, they would see him again. And they would have a joy that couldn't be stolen by any enemy. Now believers, I know that on our part, we've not yet seen our risen Savior. And so we wait for that day when he returns for his church. It's been more than a little while for us. In our minds, he's been long in coming. 2,000 years seems long in our estimation. But in the sight of God, this is short. And he's not slow about his promise, but he's patient, desiring that none would perish, but that all would repent. That's what we're told in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. As we wait for our Lord, believers, we too can have the same joy the disciples had. When we face persecution, we can look to the cross of Christ, knowing that on it he paid the penalty for our sins, knowing that he did not stay in the grave but powerfully rose from the dead, making a way for us to receive such a glorious salvation. In this, we have a joy that can never be robbed from us by our circumstances, by our enemy the devil, or by the enemies of God that persecute his people. 
So understand this first this morning. We do not need to be overcome with grief because we have joy in Jesus Christ. But in this moment, the disciples still didn't understand. Soon the very thing that brought them heartbreak, the cross and death of Jesus, would bring them joy. They just didn't know it yet. Years ago, Casey was talking to a friend of hers, and Casey happened to say that that day was Good Friday. And her friend responded and said, Don't call it good. There's nothing good about today. Today's the day that God died. We shouldn't call it Good Friday. Her friend said, We shouldn't get time off to celebrate Easter. We should get time off for Good Friday so that we can weep and mourn because God died. See, that friend just didn't understand. Just like the disciples didn't understand at this point. The cross meant tremendous suffering and pain on our behalf. That's true. The Son of God was put to death, but through it came the forgiveness of sins. Believers, many people still don't understand this. And guess what? It is our awesome responsibility and privilege to share the truth with them about why the death of Jesus was so important. Why his death and resurrection matters for us. And believers, remember, we don't need to be overcome with grief because we have joy in Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. Look at verse 23. Jesus said, In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Let's pause here. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and then ascension to heaven, the disciples wouldn't have him physically present with them. But they could always go to Jesus in prayer. I want us to understand a few things about prayer. Jesus said this. He said, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. Many times, Christians, we are overcome with grief because in our circumstances, we start to think that our Heavenly Father does not love us. We start to think that maybe we've fallen out of His favor, that He's ignoring us, that He must not care about us because we're going through X, Y, or Z. And the truth is that God does allow us to go through hardships. Sometimes they're a result of discipline for our sin. Sometimes they are hardships that are meant to grow us in our faith. But at no time do these things mean that He has stopped loving us. Believers, the Father loves you. It's the very reason that he sent his Son to this earth. It's the very reason that he desires for us to pray to him. We don't pray to God because he's unaware of what we need. Jesus knew the hearts of his confused disciples, and God always knows our hearts. It's through our prayers, though, that God chooses to answer our needs and bless us. He wants us to pray to him. I want that to sink in for everyone this morning. The God of all creation wants us to pray to him. He wants us to talk to him, to bring him our hurts, our needs, our confusion. He loves us. 
But maybe there are some people here who are struggling with the idea that they are loved by the Father. And I will admit that at one time I struggled with this too. And I didn't even realize it. I didn't realize it until I was asked many years ago, I was asked many years ago to think of what it was I imagined God was doing when I prayed to him. I never thought about that before. But when I did, the truth was, I imagined that as I prayed, God the Father was up there on his glorious throne, bright and shining in his holiness, and that his back was to me. Because I knew that I wasn't worthy of him. I knew that I'd let him down so many times. And these things were true. I'm not worthy of him. I have let him down. But I had to realize that it's also true that he loves me. And I needed to learn that. Maybe some of us here today need to learn that. Believers, God the Father, he loves you. And we can confidently go to the Father in Jesus' name, trusting that he will answer us. Now, the next thing for us to understand about prayer is that this doesn't mean that using Jesus' name is a formula to get all that we ask for. Rather, it means that when we go to God the Father in prayer, in dependence on him, seeking the glory of his Son and the will of our Savior, the Father will answer our prayers. You know, as children, many of us had earthly fathers that we could go to when we were in need, when we needed help, when we were in danger. Good fathers do what they can to help and provide for their children. And believers, we have a powerful and perfect Heavenly Father who knows exactly what we need. Why wouldn't we pray to Him? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this. In verse 9, He said, Which of you, if your son asks for bread... We'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And Christians, when we faithfully go to the Father, seeking the glory and will of our Savior, we can trust that he will meet our needs. So when we boldly approach the throne of God's grace in our need for provision, forgiveness, answers, comfort, wisdom, and help, We need to go in the pursuit of Jesus' glory and will. These things the Father will honor. And another reason that we do not need to be overcome with grief in this life is because we can go to God in prayer at all times. Even in the midst of great suffering, the God of all creation is available to us. But Jesus wasn't done. Look at verse 29. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The disciples were certain that they understood now. I'm sure that they finally understood more than before, but the truth remained that on that very night, they would abandon Jesus when he was arrested. They would leave him all alone. Not long afterwards, they would be heartbroken after his death on the cross. The time of their joy had not yet come. The time of grief was coming. And later in life, 
they would face more grief because they would face persecution. This world would bring them many troubles. And after saying this, Jesus looked straight at them and said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Christians, here is a great truth. Memorize this verse. Carry it with you in your heart. Let it sink deep into your soul. Memorize John chapter 16, verse 33. So that when trouble and hardship and persecution come, you would remember that we do not need to be overcome with grief because Jesus has overcome the world. When Jesus died on the cross and his enemies rejoiced, when Satan and the demons clapped, and when the religious leaders patted one another on the back, the truth was that they were the defeated ones. On the cross, Jesus bore the weight of all our sin to pay the penalty we owe. His enemies rejoiced because they put out the light of the world, but the grave couldn't hold him. Three days later, that light burst out of the tomb. Jesus conquered all these that opposed him. Jesus overcame sin, death, and the devil. In John chapter 16, as Jesus looked forward to the cross, he already knew he was looking at victory which lay beyond it. And when we see hardship and persecution on the horizon, we can look past it at the victory we already have. So believers, take heart, have courage, be of good cheer. This world and the devil will continue to come against God's people, but we are already on the winning side. We have already entered the victory in Christ Jesus. No one can take away our joy that we serve a risen Savior, just as no one can take away our peace that we have in Him. Believers, in this world we will face many pains for following Jesus. When we stand up for Him, the world will try and knock us down. The world will try and bully us into silence and submission. We'll face discouragement, grief, physical pain, anguish. But we do not need to be overcome by these things. We do not need to be overcome with grief. Listen to the wonderful words found in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. It says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers... Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Believers, my fellow conquerors in Christ, in the grief of this life and the suffering of our faith, I would encourage all of us to remember this truth, that we can have courage in suffering because we serve a victorious Savior. Remember that, believers. We can have courage in suffering because we serve a victorious Savior. And I pray that his joy and his peace would fill our lives as we boldly walk with him. And I pray that we would serve him in this life and that we would even give up this life, if we must, out of our love for him. 
But if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you've never given your life to him. If that's true for you, please understand that Jesus died for you and me and the person next to you and everybody in this room. And he did that because without him, we are hopelessly lost in sin. The Bible says that all of our sin, all the ways we've broken God's commands are separating us from him. That if our sin is not taken care of in this life, we'll be separated forever from God after this life in a place called hell. Worse yet, we can't do anything to make up for sin. We can't get rid of it by our good works or our church attendance. It truly is hopeless in our hands. But the good news is that Jesus Christ loves us so much that he came to this earth. He lived a perfect life and at the end of that life willingly died on the cross to take the punishment that our sins deserve, all the wrath that we deserve. And after he died, Jesus was buried and three days later powerfully rose from the dead, proving he is who he said he is. He is the Savior, the Son of God, and the only one who can forgive us of our sins. And friend, the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have never given him your life, if you have never gone to him in faith, understand that it is only through Jesus Christ that we can be made right in God's sight. It is only through faith in Jesus that we can receive the salvation of our souls. And I pray that today, if you have never made that decision, that today you would give your life to Jesus. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's true for you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, but you're ready to finally do that, please know that you can do that wherever you are. Whether you're listening to this on the radio, online, no matter where you've been in life, no matter where you are right now, you can give your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're ready to do that, go to him in prayer and admit to him that you know you're a sinner, but that you know he died on the cross for you, that you believe he didn't stay in the grave but rose from the dead, and give him your life and he will forgive you and save you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with anyone listening who still has not made that decision, who still has not given their life to Jesus Christ. I pray they would think seriously about these things. I pray that for those of us who have made that decision, who have put our faith in Jesus, that you would help us not to be overcome with grief in this life, even though we know the world will hate us and persecute us. Help us not to be overcome with grief, but instead help us to remember that you love us because sometimes we forget that in our circumstances. Help us to remember. Help us to remember even our hardships that you love us. And help us to go to you in prayer. Help us to remember that we can have that joy, that settled state of confidence and hope because of you. And help us to remember that we serve a victorious Savior. Father, I pray that for all of us here, you would help us to live bold lives in our faith so that you would be glorified. Father, we love you, but you proved long ago when you sent your Son that you love us more, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.